0: Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for the way you've made us, that you've enabled us to sing, that sometimes our hearts are just feel like they're exploding with, uh, with gratitude, with thanks and, and praise, and you are the king. And we would like that to be evident in this moment, Lord, Lord. As we listen to your word, pray for the one who preaches. Pray for those who hear. All of us, Lord, need to humble ourselves before you to be able to hear from you, to to receive from you. So would you do that, Lord? Would you clear out the, the rubble, the debris, break down the walls, whatever's in the way between us and you? And Jesus, how we thank you that you're the one who breaks down the walls. And uh, so we look to you. We want to see you. We want to hear from you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd come and just move in each of our lives according to the need and according to the purpose that, that you want to accomplish in each one of us and then in us as a church body, as a family who are following Jesus together in this city. And we ask this all for your honor and your glory um, and and keep before our eyes the fact that you you have come for us and you are coming again to take us home. And in hope, we wait, we worship, we pray, we serve, we work in hope of that coming day. That blessed hope, we thank you in Jesus' name. Last week, we looked at one of Jesus' sermons, often called the Olivet Discourse because it took place on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, and we looked at part one of that discourse, which focuses on the fall of Jerusalem, and Jesus predicted, he said that it would happen within a generation of his coming crucifixion, it happened exactly as he predicted, exactly. And we saw that part of what we're supposed to learn from the fall of Jerusalem is, first of all, that God is serious about sin. That as painful as the fall of Jerusalem was, it will be nothing compared to the judgment of God that is coming. And second, that you can count on Jesus no matter what happens in your life or in your world. You can count on Jesus. He is utterly Completely faithful and reliable and true. You can count on him. So Jesus was warning his hearers in that day about the reality of God's judgment. And it did fall upon Jerusalem not too many years later. His prediction fulfilled to the letter. But he's not just speaking to them. He's really warning us today about judgment as well. What, What will we do as we hear these words These words come into the ears and the hearts of every generation since Jesus spoke them. What will we do? Well, the first thing we have to do is flee from the wrath of God falling upon us in our sin and our rebellion by hiding ourselves in the salvation of Jesus Christ. We've got to be united to Jesus Christ in his person, in his work, We've got to trust in him. Our faith has to come to rest in him and in him alone. That faith unites us to who he is. He's the savior. He's the king. And it unites us to what he did. He was the righteous one. The one and only righteous one. sacrificed on a cross as a substitute in the place of the unrighteous ones. Us, sinners such as we are. So that is step one. We really can't find anywhere else to go to escape from the judgment of God that our sin has earned. Jesus is the refuge. He's the one and only refuge, a place of refuge that God has graciously provided for us. I mean, that is grace and favor that is in no way deserved by any of us. So rich and free, we have a refuge in Jesus Christ. But there's even more. In the second half of his sermon, this Olivet Discourse, Jesus speaks of the signs of his unmistakable return, his coming back. He came into the world and he said, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're in Luke 21, and we'll finish up that chapter today in our series on the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 25 through 38. And... The title of the message is the same as last week it's just part 2 ready or not here i come. We've all maybe played that children's game of hide and seek, you know. Ready or not, here i come. That's what Jesus is saying in essence in this message, this sermon. Jesus will return. That's the bottom line. Jesus will return in verses 24 through 36, Jesus tells the people that he will return in a clear, unmistakable way. And it will happen when what he calls in verse 24, the times of the Gentiles, are fulfilled. What is that? Well, these are the times in which you and I are now living, in between the two comings of Jesus Christ. The times of the Gentiles. These are the times in which God's... uh, God's purposes are really focused on the Gentiles from all nations finding salvation in Jesus Christ. He's building a, a multinational family of the redeemed from all nations. And when the end of those times comes, Jesus says he will return in an undeniably clear way. Verses 25 and 26. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Jesus is using apocalyptic language, much of which is borrowed from the Old Testament. For example... The prophet Joel, in chapter 2, verses 30 and 31, says this. The Lord is speaking, And I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So all of this speaks to some kind of violent upheaval violent change in the natural order, we will experience some unnatural disasters. Jesus says his return will be marked by anguish, perplexity, and terror among the nations. In other words, there will be some kind of widespread panic going on throughout the nations, throughout the whole earth. Have you ever seen thousands of people panic at once? You know, the world has become such a global village in our day that, you know, everybody taking videos on their phones, that we have seen, we have seen thousands of people panic all at once when a tsunami or a hurricane or a tornado or an earthquake strikes. We have seen that. So just imagine five or six billion people in a state of panic worldwide all at once. Uh, We don't know how long... This widespread panic will continue. But amidst this universal confusion, verse 27 tells us that Christ will appear in an unmistakable way. At that time, verse 27, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Of course, that's a reference to Daniel, the Son of Man, coming, you know, to the ancient of days. He's the one, the only one worthy of praise and worship and honor from the nations. That's what Jesus is looking forward to. And how different Jesus' second coming will be from his first. He won't come as meek and lowly, but with power and glory. He won't come riding on a donkey, but on a cloud. He won't come bearing a cross, but a sword. So what are we supposed to do? in the light of all this. What are we supposed to do? How should we respond? Well, first, we must be ready. He's telling us these things so that his people, people get ready. We must be ready. That's the first order of business. As God's people, people following Jesus Christ, we must be ready. Jesus tells us that we must look up In hope. It's really a very different kind of looking up. It's not a looking up in terror. You know, in contrast to to those all around the world who will be in a state of panic. It's a looking up in hope. Verse 28. This is an amazing verse. When, When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads. Because your redemption is drawing near. I mean, Jesus came to redeem us on the cross at that first coming. But he's coming back a second time, and our full redemption will be revealed. And part of that will be a new heaven, a new earth, new bodies, new everything. He says, I'm making everything new. What a day that's going to be. Look up in hope, because your full redemption is drawing near. So, man, we get to look up in hope. Something wonderful is going to be happening. As long promised by God. Our complete redemption will be drawing near. And we're about to be delivered. You know, so many things in this world that we know we haven't been delivered from. You know, our ultimate destination, our ultimate condition is not in doubt because of Jesus Christ. But, oh, there's so much from which we need to be delivered in our brokenness. Well, that's coming. And that's something to look forward to, to get ready for, to anticipate. The closest thing to this I can think of, and it's not that close, is a wedding. But the Bible does use that kind of imagery. Three of our four sons are married, and the fourth is getting married this summer. There's nothing quite like it. There's that amazing moment when the groom is up front, and he's just waiting for his bride. And man, he's got that look on his face. He's just goofy. He's just ready, you know? And there's that amazing moment. The doors are closed in the back, hiding her from his sight. And, man, then when they swing those doors open and she steps out into view, well, both the bride and the, and the groom, where do you think they're looking? Are they, you know, they're kind of looking around. Man, their eyes just lock on each other. There's nobody else in the room at that point. Their, their eyes just lock on each other. She's ready. She's beautiful, dressed in white. Man, what a sight. What a moment. When Christ returns as our bridegroom, we're going to lock eyes on him. We're just going to lock eyes on him. There could be things just falling apart all around us. doesn't matter. We're going to lock eyes on him. He's going to lock eyes on us. Man, what a moment that will be. How should we respond? We should be ready. Second, We should recognize the signs. Jesus is telling us these things so that we would recognize them when they happen. Um, We need to be able, ready, to recognize the signs of our Redeemer's return. So in his sermon, uh, Jesus is talking about when all of this will happen. What What are some of the things he wants us to know? Verses 29 through 33, he told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus says that when these final cosmic signs are taking place, then we'll know that the time of his return is here. Now notice, I want you to notice though, he doesn't give us like a code book. He doesn't give us a calendar or a clock ticking down to an exact time. It's not like the TV series 24 or 24 Legacy. Hey, I'm a big fan I love that ticking clock, you know, with that thudding sound as it ticks. Well, we don't get a clock. We don't get a clock ticking to a set time that we can know precisely. God knows. But we don't get that clock ticking precisely to the time when Christ will return. We don't want to be distracted by trying to figure that out. Now, I think there's a confusing part here. He goes on to say, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Well, this has confused a lot of people. What does he mean by this generation? Is it the people he was talking to? If so, Jesus was wrong. He did not return while they were still alive. I think it's pretty safe to conclude that Jesus is right And Jesus is talking about a different generation. Some of the things earlier, he talked to the generation of that day. But now he's talking to a different generation, the generation of people who will be living in those end days. Those who are alive at that time, to see the signs described, they would not die off, that generation, before Christ returned. How should we respond? Third... We should be alert and prayerful. Jesus is saying to his people, be watching. Be praying. He says, verses 34 through 36, Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus wants us to be ready and able to stand before him when he returns. He wants us to be prepared. Well, this preparation, I think, calls for a couple of things of us as followers of Christ. First, we have to guard against being lulled to sleep by the things of this world. That's obviously a danger. He mentions it specifically. Don't miss it, he says. Don't be lulled to sleep. The things of this world, this includes worldly pleasures, but it also includes worldly anxieties. And we've got plenty of both going on, don't we, in our culture. For example... He speaks specifically, he says, we need to avoid dissipation or excess. He speaks of drunkenness. How many of us are drunk on the things of this life? We have our families, homes, cars, clothes, vacations, bills, jobs, retirement plans, not retirement plans, TVs, computers, phones, In in so many ways, life seems so good. We're drunk on these things, and we don't even know it. Jesus says we must not be so preoccupied with the things of earth that his return becomes nothing more than an afterthought or a mere theological point. Secondly, Jesus says we've got to keep alert and pray for the strength to escape all these things he's described. And he doesn't mean escape in terms of not having to go through them. We talked last week about how he doesn't make a promise that God's people will be bubble-wrapped during these, these terrible times. Not escape in that sense, but escape in the sense of standing firm against the temptations that will strike at that time. We're in a battle. We're in a battle today. And that battle will intensify at the time of Christ's return. It's not easy to follow Christ in a broken, collapsing, and yet seductive world. We can't do it ourselves. We have to be completely dependent on Him, and we have to help each other. Prayer is the answer to those who wonder if they will be able to make it through all of this without denying Christ. Prayer and the community of God's people. We are in this together to the end. And so really I think that means keep walking and talking with Jesus and his people the whole way through each day and you'll make it when the great day comes. You'll be used to it. It will be your way of life at that time because it's your way of life now. You can't suddenly slap on a new way of life. (laughs) when the world is collapsing. So keep going one at a time, with your eyes on Jesus, walking together. You see, this is not a sprint we're involved in. This is really a long-distance marathon. Marathon runners, they train hard to be as prepared as possible. But they say there's a part of a marathon that's always hard to prepare for. I've never run one, and I certainly can't now. But a marathon is just a little bit over 26 miles. But I have heard that experts tell you not to run over 20 miles in your training. And so that means the last six miles of a marathon are kind of no man's land. You don't really know what it'll be like. You don't really know what you're getting yourself into. You may hit a wall. You may have cramps. You only know that it's going to be tough. But you also try to believe that if you train hard enough, well enough, you'll be ready to keep going and be able to cross that glorious finish line at the end of the race. Now We read a passage like Luke 21, our text today, and it's like we're reading about the last six miles of a marathon. We know it's going to be hard. And we know that there's, there's nothing we can do now to exactly replicate what it will be like then. It's impossible. We're going to have to live by faith then as now. But Jesus has told us what to look for and how to be prepared, how to cross that finish line. We prepare by being wise and discerning about the false claims of religious hucksters. Uh, We prepare by resting in the fact that God is sovereign. God is in control, and whatever happens to us, it's part of God's good plan. We prepare by trusting that he is creating opportunities for us to bear witness of Christ, our Savior, and that he'll give us the words we need when we need them. We prepare by learning to endure hardship now, so that when greater hardship comes, we know the feel of it, and we won't fall by the wayside. We prepare by refusing to allow ourselves to buy the lie that the things of this world are the most important things. We prepare by praying each day for God's strength to face whatever uh, the last six miles of life or history may hold for us. We prepare by finding our identity, our purpose, and our worth in Jesus Christ instead of in the things of this world we can possess or we can produce. We prepare by being motivated by the love of God in Christ for us and for other people, instead of being motivated to do what we do out of fear or guilt or pride. We prepare by quietly resting in the approval of God we have received in Christ, no matter what is going on instead of anxiously striving to earn the approval or avoid the disapproval of others when things are stressful and unsettling. We prepare by trusting our lives completely into the care and the control of Jesus Christ today. In this day, we start now, come what may, so that when come what is so bad we cannot imagine it, we know. That he is good, and we know that he is able. Do you know that God is good, and that he is able? Do you know that in Jesus Christ? Do you know that he is fully available to you right now, whatever is going on? Have you made yourself fully available to him right now, so that you're used to that as a way of life, when even when life may feel like it's being shaken to pieces. One day, it will be. I think that's the point of the last two verses of Luke 21, verses 37 and 38, that Jesus is available to us now. You're not on hold until he returns. This is not a You know, a hiatus until you're in his presence. My friends, Jesus is fully available to you right now in this moment and in every moment. Verses 37 and 38. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple. And each evening, he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. You see what's going on there? Everybody knew where Jesus was all the time. Jesus made himself available to those who were seeking him. It's the same today. He's right here. He's available for you. Right here. Right now. So the question is, are you coming to him, listening to him, seeking him, giving him your heart and your life today? That's really the only way to get ready for his return. Because if I'm not used to listening to him now, following him now, seeking him now, looking to him now, surrendering to him now, I will not be ready when he returns. That's the call. There's a poem I love, and I'll end with this. In his poem, Let Me Get Home Before Dark, Robertson McQuilkin writes these words, and with this I will close. Let me get home before dark. It's sundown, Lord. The shadows of my life stretch back into the dimness of the years long spent. I fear not death, for that grim foe betrays himself at last, thrusting me forever into life, life with you, unsoiled and free. But I do fear I fear the dark specter may come too soon, or do I mean too late, that I should end before I finish, or finish but not well, that I should stain your honor, shame your name, grieve your loving heart. Few, they tell me, finish well. Lord, let me get home before dark. Let me get home before dark. Jesus came to help us get home through the dark. May Jesus be honored in our lives today, that we may be ready to honor him upon his return when we see him face to face, and what a day that will be. Amen? Amen.